The following audio is from Downtown Church, a multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to the Word of God as, as we continue our series in Hebrews, and we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in which we are saying this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent, that the Lord set up, not not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for the priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it's enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, There would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I show no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declared the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Thank you, Chardet. Uh Let's go now to God in prayer and ask for his strength as we consider his word this morning. Our great God, we thank you. We thank you that that we don't have to pretend. I thank you that I'm in a church that I don't have to pretend about how I'm doing or not doing. I thank you, O oh God, that you're a God that I don't have to pretend before. <laughs> because you have told us very plainly and very directly that your power is not made perfect in strength, but your power is made perfect in weakness. That you're a God of the broken, that your spirit is the one who hears the cries and runs to the cries of your children. Lord Jesus, you said you didn't come for the healthy because they don't need a doctor. You didn't come for the righteous, you came from the center, for the sinners. And so, Father, I just praise you that your grace runs downhill, that we don't have to ascend the hill in order to find healing. But healing is at the bottom as we simply open our hearts and open our arms and open our souls to you and let you in. And so, Father, I pray this morning as we go to your word that we would see the superiority of your gospel, 
that we would see the superiority of the gospel of Jesus Christ over and against the old way of doing things, the old covenant. I pray that you would make sense of all this old language in Hebrews and you would bring it to us in such a way that we would be transformed in our thinking and therefore our living. We pray this morning that you would send your spirit, the one who is interceding with us, with groans that words can't even comprehend, that you would send that spirit to make sense of your word, not because your word needs it, but because your hearers need it. And so we pray that you would change us and you would lift up Jesus and he would be huge before us this morning. Prepare us to go to the table and receive him by feasting on him with bread and wine and juice. Oh God, make yourself known in this place today and get glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How in the world could and can we understand the horror that took place a couple of weeks ago in Orlando when Omar Mateen walked in and shot as many people as he possibly could, killing at least 49 or 50. I mean, how can we make sense of that? How can we make sense? How can we understand the car bomber yesterday that went into Baghdad and uh, set off a bomb, killing the count I think now is 89? How can we understand what is going on in so many places in our world? And I think the answer to that question is in our text today, and the answer is religion. The answer is religion. You see, religion has been used um, and, and really has been behind so much evil and oppression in the world. And I want you to know this morning that it is behind the very reason that you can't forgive those that have offended you. You see, religion has been used, even by those that claim to be Christians, to justify slavery in this country. Uh, Christianity, um, in a religiously thwarted and perverted way, was used to justify, even after the Civil Rights Act, justify Jim Crow laws and much more prejudice and oppression. And you see, religion and a a thwarted, perverted view of Christianity has been used to allow Memphis, an overly churched Christian church city, to become the poorest in the country. As we saw in Hebrews 7, and I know that was two weeks ago, a lot has happened in two weeks, but as we saw in Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus makes it abundantly clear, as the writer does of of Hebrews, that Jesus didn't come to start a new religion, but to end religion altogether. Jesus did not come to start a new religion. Why? Because religion tells man what he must do in order to get the favor of God. Christianity, however, tells us what God did to bring us favor. You see, getting to God in the context of religion is on the back of the one who is seeking to be at peace with God. But in Christianity, 
reconciliation with God is on the back of Jesus. And what we see is that Hebrews is making this case over and over and over again so that we can understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and its power that it indeed is better, as Jesus is better, than the old way of doing things, the old covenant. And it has to be that way because if there's no way for us to believe that, um, that, that if it's my responsibility to make peace with God, there's no way to believe that and not go in one of two directions, either pride or unbelief. Let's look at pride first. If we believe that I am doing something, that we are doing something that somehow sets us apart from everybody else around us, then the inevitable fruit of that is going to be self-righteousness. There is no way to believe that I am doing something better than others and not feel better than others. There's no way. And so how in the world did the gunman go in? How in the world... Has the church in Memphis been so apathetic toward the poverty in this city? And how in the world do you and I go to bed at night with bitterness in our hearts? We are operating before God as religious people and not Christians. Because in Christianity, God has come down. God has, has pondered the, uh, the condition of his people and declared that we are sinful and there is nothing we can do to, uh, to somehow bridge the gap between himself and and, and us. And so he came down and he took on the law. He put the law on his back. He obeyed it perfectly in our place. He was good enough. He performed perfectly so that now we can go to God and through faith we can receive credit for Jesus' perfect obedience under the law. And not only that, Jesus went to the cross and he literally became our sin He took the burden of our sin upon himself. He became sin in the face of a holy and just God. And the holy and just God of Israel rained down his wrath, rained down his condemnation, rained down his judgment, his righteous judgment upon Jesus, so that now through faith, by grace alone, through Christ alone, by his power alone, Richard Reeves can stand before you as accepted fully, Richard Reeves can stand before you as fully righteous in God's sight because of Jesus. And it's all of grace. And you see, when you believe that, you can't be prideful. When you believe that, you can't relate to people religiously. When you believe that, your life is different. So you either go toward pride if you're dealing with God in a religious way, or you go toward goodness and you say, how in the world, that doesn't make sense at all. Why why would you be good? Well, have you ever noticed that many that call themselves Christians can be more evil, more mean, more mean-spirited, the kind of people that you just don't want to be around than those that don't claim Jesus at all? Have you ever noticed that that many churches, in fact, um, are, are places that you really don't want to be, and it's a group of people that you don't really want to be around? You'd much rather be uh, cry with the sinners than dance with the saints, or whatever Billy Joel said. I should know. I went to a concert a little while ago. Uh, but have you ever noticed that? Why is that? 
It's because a religious person is solely focused on himself. If it is my responsibility to live a life that somehow is going to win favor with God, all I can think about me and my life. But if I don't have that pressure, if I've, if I've come to the point where I realize that there's no way that I can do that, and therefore I am now an unbeliever, I'm not believing that stuff, then I don't have that law on me and I can be much nicer, uh, much nicer of a person because I'm not trying to get to heaven. I've either given up on it altogether or I've just said, hey, I'm just going to have fun and, you know, I can't do all the religious stuff. And therefore, yeah, that person can be much nicer than a religious person. But what I want us to see this morning is what this passage is telling us. And that is that religion doesn't work, but Jesus does. I mean, that's what the the writer of Hebrews is telling us, is that the old way of doing things, that the old covenant, the, the covenant that was based on law, does not work. And that's why Jesus came, to bring us a better covenant. So how does Jesus work? Let's look at this. Uh, let's look, first of all, um, at this whole idea that Jesus or religion doesn't work. But I think we have to really understand it, because we all really want religion to work because of our pride. Our flesh drives us to want religion to work. We don't want to have to solely believe in Christ and believe that we are so bad and and, and so wicked that there's no way that we can bridge the gap with God. Um, And so we're always trying to default to a religious way of living. Let me show you how this just simply doesn't work. Let me bring it to our front door with this illustration. Sometimes, um, and very rarely, but sometimes, I am left alone with my grandchildren. And it's my responsibility to, um, to watch them for an hour or two, let's say. And whenever I do that, I find myself kind of getting, you know, kind of pumping up, saying, all right, we're going to, uh, I'm going to conquer this. And, and so uh, Braden and Bennett will come in with Kylie, and let's just say it's the three of them. And I'll look at Braden and Bennett and I'll say, guys, it is so important that you listen to Bapa. You know, you're going you're gonna to obey me, and, and, and man, I want you guys to share, and I want you to think about the other. And, you know, and so as I'm having this, because I'm, I'm just, you know, convinced that this time I am going to create the perfect community among my, my grandchildren. And as I'm talking to them, I hear in the other room, Kylie has the, the basket of toys, and she's dumped it all out on the floor. And so I go running in there. I'm like, Kylie, 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 you know, um, you, you don't need to be doing that. And I said, come on, boys, let's, you know, help me do this. And we pick up the toys and we restore order for a minute. And then, uh, then Bennett will say, I'm thirsty, Bapa, I'm thirsty. Okay, well, let me go get something to drink. So I go and I, and I grab uh, some sippy cups or, you know, little cups. And I come, I say, okay, we're, we're not going to be on the carpet. We're going to stand right here and we're going to drink this juice right here. And, you know, as I'm doing that, Kylie walks in with the remote control. I'm sure deprogramming everything that's taken me a lifetime to program into it. And as she's coming in, I realize that she's not, that, that the remote control is not the only thing that she's bringing in. I'm smelling something on Kylie. And so, so I, I take Kylie to the other room and I'm trying to change the diapers. And while I'm doing that, Bennett has, has all the puzzles out and he's dumped all the pieces in the living room. And Braden is found. He loves to build the Legos. So he's dumped all the Legos out. And all of a sudden I feel like, you know, society is breaking down. My whole plan 
is going to pot. And then Bennett starts crying because he thought he was going to get milk and not water or whatever I gave him. And, you know, and I'd promised them early in the morning, hey, we're going to go to the playground if everybody acts right and, you know, and everybody's good. And by the time we get everything picked up, the boys were like, yeah, we can go to the playground now. And I look at my watch and it's time for Kylie's nap. And I announce that we can't go to the playground. There's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I have been overcome by the four- and five-year-olds in my world. The whole thing is broken. You see, the law is powerless. We can give as many pep talks in the world, but it's powerless to bring real change. It is broken because everybody involved is broken. Because, you see, their hearts have no desire, no desire to be law-abiding. They want, they want the world to center around them, just as in that context, I want them to center around me. And it's a powerless system that simply doesn't work. Verses 6 through 7 of our passage, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. The old covenant, you see, was built on incredible laws. If man had the ability to obey God in the Ten Commandments and all the laws throughout Israel, it would have been a perfect society. Everything would have worked perfectly. The problem was not God's law. The problem was God's people. And you see, if you try to change us through the law, you're not using the law in its proper context. Jesus pointed this out, or excuse me, first Romans pointed this out. Paul in Romans 3 said this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. Do you get it? And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes what? Knowledge of sin. Do you see the purpose of the law when it's combined with our hearts? It's to show us how powerless we are. It's to drive us to a point that we understand the depth of our our problem so that we can look at the drastic nature of our hearts and our lives and understand that we need God to perform a drastic measure. That's what Jesus said the purpose of the law was. Summarizing it in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, You've heard it said to the people long ago, Do not murder, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart, you're guilty of judgment. And he just keeps going down uh, the line. He says... um, Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Sometimes when I keep my grandchildren, I'm, I'm thinking in my heart that they are fools quickly. <laughs> and what is that showing? God is using his law to show me how helpless I am and how desperately I need him. You see, the old covenant doesn't work. 
The Old Covenant was built on commands and laws, great laws, perfect laws that reveal the holy character of God. Laws that we should lift up to adore, but not laws that we should lift up as a stairway to get us in favor with God. Because we can't climb that ladder because of us and our hearts. The old way doesn't work, but Jesus does. This is how Jesus works. This is how the new covenant is better. Number one, it changes our hearts. You see, the, the problem with um, my grandchildren is the problem with me. They don't want to obey the law any more than I do on most days. And so what we need to bring order to the chaos of, of that morning is, is we need transformation. I don't need to raise my voice louder. I don't need to put the laws, you know, let's write them on the, on the poster board on the wall let, let's, let's, let, let's get more clear, let's get more forceful. No. You see, that doesn't work. It may for a time, but it doesn't really bring transformation. Uh, do you understand that, that I can be a strict disciplinarian and I might be able to get my grandchildren to obey me to some degree, but it's not true obedience? Because I can't tell what's going on in their hearts. What I want from them is not just obedience, it's not just outward conformity to the law, but what I want from them is to love me so much that they rejoice in my laws, that we live in agreement together, that we move forward with order. And I can't produce that by raising my voice or using disciplinary actions. I can control outward behavior, and we should do that as parents. But do you understand that you can't, really control the heart of your child. We see this so often. You teachers deal with it all the time, and your parents too. You think you're raising, you know, the, the fourth person of the Trinity. Your child is all just perfect in your house. But they go to school, and the teacher calls and says that they're acting bad, and your first response, oh, no, 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 not Johnny. He is a perfect angel. Well, what's happened? He's gotten out from under your authority, and his, but his heart hasn't changed. And he's under the authority of somebody else, and so he is testing. His real heart is coming out. We see it when church kids go to college. And parents and the church community and others say, what? That's just so uncharacteristic. No, it's not. It's been a rebellious heart that's been held captive year after year after year, striving just to please, but as soon as they're out, from under real authority, the authority of their parents, boom, the real person comes out. And do you, do you see it? You really can't know who you are without the law. And that is the beauty of the new covenant. Verses 8 through 10. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it's not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws where? Into their minds. And I will write them where? Not on stones anymore. I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Do you see what's happening here? 
God is promising to bring the law to the hearts of his people one day, someday, so that Psalm 19 may be a reality to his people. Listen to Psalm 119.57. You are my portion, O Lord. I have promised to obey your words. Why? Because God is my portion. Therefore, I want to please him, not because of some, some code written on stones, but because of some code written in my heart. You see, that is a different person. There's been transformation, and that's what we need. Jeremiah 17 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Dear friends, if you follow your heart, you are destroying your life. Because your heart will lie to you. Your heart is deceptive. Your heart wants not what God wants most of the time. It wants what you want. And we see that it's from the, the, the soul of our hearts that we really see who we are. In Luke 6:45, Jesus said that, that it's, the, it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So what's in your heart is really coming out. Have you ever said something and said, oh, I didn't really mean that? Guess what? Yes, you did. Your mouth doesn't lie. It expresses what's in your heart. And our hearts are deceitful above all things. And yet the hope of the gospel is Ezekiel 36. I will remove from you a heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. Radical heart change. And haven't we seen the need for that in our midst over the last month or month and a half? We have had one among us that has led us in worship. We have had one among us that that pretended to be one thing. We have had one among us that convinced us of one thing, and yet inside their hearts were radically, radically different. And that should be a warning to you. And that should be a warning to me. Because, friends, we have a God that we don't have to respond to religiously. If there's junk going on in our hearts, we can run to Him. And therefore, we should be a culture, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, we should be a community where there is no no hidden secrets. Because a hidden secret is the most dangerous thing that we can possess and coddle and hold on to because our hearts are deceitful above all things. And dear friends, if there is junk going on in your heart, tell somebody. If there's junk going on in your heart... Talk to somebody and say, brother or sister, I need some help. Because if you don't, it's not just going to go away. It's going to keep on growing. But the hope of the gospel meets us right there. Jesus says, I will change your heart. Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my burden upon you because it's light. Come to me. Expose your heart to me. I already know it. And I will breathe life into you. Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Your outward behavior is somewhat evidence of, evidence of that. But it's not the complete evidence. Because we want to act religiously. And we want to prove to other people that we really are better than we know we are. Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Is He captivating your heart in the midst of the hard times and the good times? 
Are you growing? Is he becoming more beautiful to you? Do you find yourself wanting to obey him more? Are you find, do you find yourself wanting to know him more? Do you find yourself in communion and prayer with him more? Longing to be in worship? Are you finding yourself falling more and more in love with Jesus? And you say, Richard, that's, obedience is what matters. You cannot obey God without loving God. You can't. And if you're trying to do it right now, your heart is growing colder toward Jesus, not softer toward Him. We need Him to break our heart over our sin and our sinful motivations to even want to obey the law so that He might come in and bring genuine heart transformation, which is the power of the gospel. And then secondly and finally, under Jesus is better. Jesus creates a whole new community. You see, there's no way to change our hearts and our relationships not change. If we were to come in and change the hearts of everybody in the household when I'm watching my grandchildren, we wouldn't just have individual reconciliation, but we would have horizontal reconciliation. We, we would begin to want what's best for one another. We would stop thinking about ourselves, and, and that's the gospel. I love this. Listen to um, verses 11 through 12. Once this new covenant comes, once God pours out His mercy and grace, once He writes His law on the hearts of mankind, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know Me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, And I will remember their sins no more. Do you see it? This is a radically new community. From the least to the greatest, there will be no class. There will be nothing that separates. But from the least to the greatest, there will be hearts for God and therefore hearts for one another. When I was in India, I couldn't believe how heartless and how hard people were to the suffering around them. I've never seen such suffering in all my life. Men and women laid out on uh, in the train station, on the streets, people starving to death, uh, people without health. It just horrible, horrible, horrible circumstances. And yet people just walking by from left to right, seemingly showing no concern and no mercy. Why is that? Because Hinduism, at the heart of Hinduism, is the concept of karma. And karma, if you just break it down, basically says you get what you deserve. And so if I'm not the one on the ground, the God, I must be getting what I deserve and you must be getting what you deserve so I can just go my way and not have to stop and help you. Do you see how dangerous that is? Do you see the kind of society and culture that that produces? Oh, but Jesus. You see, when we understand that we have done nothing... We have done everything to push God's love away. We've done everything to, to build a certain case against us from Him loving us. And yet, while we were still sinful, while we were His enemies, God, who is rich in mercy, came down and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, so that now, in Christ, we are adopted sons and daughters. Do you understand that when a community, when a church believes that message, that I am sinful, and yet I am justified through the finished work of Christ alone, 
that I can't help but forgive my enemy. Because I have no right at any moment, no matter what has been done to me, to hold bitterness in my heart because God has not held bitterness in his heart toward me. Do you see how grace creates a radically different community than religion? And so the question before us this morning is, is downtown church a Christian community or are we a religious community? Are there people that you're refusing to forgive Are there people that you're refusing to love? You love the idea of being in the seats next to people unlike you, but has your life changed to the point that you are genuinely sharing your life with people unlike you? Do you see the difference? Grace drives love and a different community, and religion creates something that is completely false and completely synthetic. Which is it, downtown church? For us. For you see, the new covenant is radically different. I love verses, or chapter 7, 28, 8 through 2. We'll read this and finish. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest. For the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Dear friends, we have a high priest who is interceding for us this morning. We have a high priest who has taken everything upon himself to reconcile us to the Father, and it's all by grace. Do you know that high priest this morning? And do you believe the message of his grace for you? If so, then forgive somebody. If so, then open your eyes to those that are hurting around you and treat them as God has treated you. Sacrifice for them as God has sacrificed for you. Appropriate His love and be different from the world. May God make it so. Amen. Our great God, we rejoice this morning that there is hope, that there is life, that there is joy in you. And so, Father, I pray that you would come this morning that you would do your work among us, that you would convince the skeptic, that you would break the proud heart, that, Father, you would woo in the broken heart who thinks that they have done too much for you to love them. Oh, God, I pray that you would bind up the broken heart this morning with your love, that you would pour out your love and show us this morning how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God for us. God, would you do that for your glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.